0: Book One, Chapter Five of *The Bostonians*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Isabel Bram. *The Bostonians* by Henry James, Chapter Five. Mrs. Faranda, meanwhile, was not eager to address the assembly. She confessed as much to Olive Chancellor with a smile which asked that a temporary lapse of promptness might not be too harshly judged. She had addressed so many assemblies, and she wanted to hear what other people had to say. Miss Chancellor herself had thought so much on the vital subject. Would not she make a few remarks and give them some of her experiences? How did the ladies on Beacon Street feel about the ballot? Perhaps she could speak for them more than for some others.' "'That was a branch of the question on which, it might be, the ladies had not information enough. "'But they wanted to take in everything. "'And why shouldn't Miss Chancellor just make that field her own?' "'Mrs. Falander spoke in the tone of one who took views so wide "'that they might easily at first, before you could see how she went round, "'look almost meretricious. "'She was conscious of a scope that exceeded the first light of your imagination.' She urged upon her companion the idea of labouring in the world of passion, appeared to attribute to her familiar relations with that mysterious realm, and wanted to know why she shouldn't stir up some of her friends down there on the mill-dam. Olive Chancellor received this appeal with peculiar feelings. With her immense sympathy for reform, she found herself so often wishing that reformers were a little different. There was something round about Mrs. Farinder it lifted one up to be with her but there was a false note when she spoke to her young friend about the ladies in beacon street olive hated to hear that fine avenue talked about as if it were such a remarkable place and to live there were a proof of worldly glory all sorts of inferior people lived there and so brilliant a woman as mrs farinder who lived at ruxbury ought not to mix things up it was of course very wretched to be irritated by such mistakes but this was not the first time miss chancellor had observed that the possession of nerves was not by itself a reason for embracing the new truths she knew her place in the boston hierarchy and it was not what mrs barringer supposed so that there was a want of perspective in talking to her as if she had been a representative of the aristocracy nothing could be weaker she knew very well than in the united states to apply that term too literally nevertheless it would represent a reality if one were to say that by distinction the chancellors belonged to the bourgeoisie the oldest and best they might care for such a position or not as it happened they were very proud of it but there they were and it made mrs founder seem provincial there was something provincial after all in the way she did her hair to not to understand when miss bird's eye spoke as if one were a leader of society olive could forgive her even that odious expression because of course one never pretended that she poor dear had the smallest sense of the real she was heroic she was sublime the whole moral history of boston was reflected in her displaced spectacles but it was a part of her originality as it were that she was deliciously provincial olive's chancellor seemed to herself to have privileges enough without being affiliated to the exclusive set and having invitations to the smaller parties which were the real test it was a mercy for her that she had not that added immorality on her conscience the ladies mrs faringdon meant it was to be supposed she meant some particular ones might speak for themselves she wished to work in another field she had long been preoccupied with the romance of the people she had an immense desire to know intimately some very poor girl this might seem one of the most accessible of pleasures but in point of fact she had not found it so there were two or three pale shop maidens whose acquaintance she had sought but they had seemed afraid of her and the attempt had come to nothing she took them more tragically than they took themselves they couldn't make out what she wanted them to do and they always ended by being odiously mixed up with charlie charlie was a young man in a white overcoat and a paper collar it was for him in the last analysis that they cared much the most they cared far more about charlie than about the ballad olive chancellor wondered how mrs farindo would treat that branch of the question in her researches among her young townswomen she had always found this obtrusive swain planted in her path and she grew at last to dislike him extremely it filled her with exasperation to think that he should be necessary to the happiness of his victims she had learned that whatever they might talk about with her it was of him and him only that they discoursed among themselves and one of the main recommendations of the evening club for her fatigued and depaved sisters which it had long been her dream to establish was that it would in some degree undermine his position distinct as her provision might be that he would be in waiting at the door she hardly knew what to say to mrs farinder when this momentarily misdirected woman Still preoccupied with the mill dam, returned to the charge. We want laborers in that field, though I know two or three lovely women, sweet home women, moving in circles that are for the most part closed to every new voice, who are doing the best to help on the fight. I have several names that might surprise you, names very well known in State Street but we can't have too many recruits, especially among those whose refinement is generally acknowledged. If it be necessary, we are prepared to take certain steps to conciliate the shrinking. Our movement is for all. It appeals to the most delicate ladies. Raise the standard among them, and bring me a thousand names. I know several that I should like to have. I look after the details as well as the big currents,' Mrs. Farrender added in a tone as explanatory as could be expected of such a woman and with a smile of which the sweetness was thrilling to her listener i can't talk to these people i can't said olive chancellor with a face which seemed to plead for a remission of responsibility i want to give myself up to others i want to know everything that lies beneath and out of sight don't you know i want to enter into the lives of women who are lonely who are piteous "'I want to be near to them, to help them. "'I want to do something. "'Oh, I should like so to speak.' "'We should be glad to have you make a few remarks at present,' "'Mrs. Fannander declared, with a punctuality which revealed the faculty of presiding. "'Oh, dear, no, I can't speak. "'I have none of that sort of talent. "'I have no self-possession, no eloquence. "'I can't put three words together. "'But I do want to contribute.' what have you got mrs farinder inquired looking at her interlocutress up and down with the eye of business in which there was a certain chill have you got money olive was so agitated for the moment with the hope that this great woman would approve of her on the financial side that she took no time to reflect that some other quality might in courtesy have been suggested but she confessed to possessing a certain capital and the tone seemed rich and deep in which mrs Founder said to her then contribute that she was so good as to develop this idea and her picture of the part miss chancellor might play by making liberal donations to a fund for the diffusion among the women of america of a more adequate conception of their public and private rights a fund her adviser had herself lately inaugurated this bold rapid sketch had the vividness which characterized the speaker's most successful public efforts it placed olive under the spell it made her feel almost inspired if her life struck others in that way especially a woman like mrs Farrinder, whose horizon was so full then there must be something for her to do it was one thing to choose for herself but now the great representative of the enfranchisement of their sex from every form of bondage had chosen for her. The barren, gas-lighted room grew richer and richer to her earnest eyes. It seemed to expand, to open itself to the great life of humanity. The serious, tired people, in their bonnets and overcoats, began to glow like a company of heroes. "'Yes, she would do something,' Olive Chancellor said to herself. "'She would do something to brighten the darkness of that dreadful image "'that was always before her, "'and against which it seemed to her at times "'that she had been born to lead a crusade. "'The image of the unhappiness of women. "'The unhappiness of women! "'The voice of their silent suffering was always in her ears. "'The ocean of tears that they had shed from the beginning of the time "'seemed to power through her own eyes.' ages of oppression had rolled over them and counted millions had lived only to be tortured to be crucified they were her sisters they were her own and the day of their delivery had dawned this was the only sacred cause this was the great the just revolution it must triumph it must sweep everything before it it must exact from the other the brutal blood-stained ravening race the last particle of expiation. It would be the greatest change the world had seen, it would be a new era for the human family, and the names of those who had helped to show the way and leave the squadrons would be the brightest in the tables of fame. There would be names of women weak, insulted, persecuted, but devoted in every pulse of their being to the cause, and asking no better fate than to die for it it was not clear to this interesting girl in what manner such a sacrifice as this last would be required of her but she saw the matter through a kind of sunrise mist of emotion which made danger as rosy is success when miss bird's eye approached it transfigured her familiar her comical shape and made the poor little humanitary hack seem already a martyr olive chancellor looked at her with love remembered that she had never in her long and rewarded weary life had a thought or an impulse for herself she had been consumed by the passion of sympathy it had crumpled her into as many creases as an old glazed distended glove she had been laughed at but she never knew it she was treated as a bore but she never cared she had nothing in the world but the clothes on her back and when she should go down into the grave she would leave nothing behind her but her grotesque, undistinguished, pathetic little name. And yet people said that women were vain, that they were personal, that they were interested. While Miss Birdseye stood there, asking Mrs. Farrander if she wouldn't say something, Olive Chancellor tenderly fastened a small battered brooch, which confined her collar and which had half detached itself. End of Book 1, Chapter 5